everyone. You're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. My name is Kim C, and I'm the hostess of this one-woman book podcast, where my background as a university fiction teacher helps me dive headfirst into the unexplored waters of Stephen King's underrated titles. And today, my friends, I'm doggy paddling out into those waters with my buddy Tiny from Tower Junkies. Tiny, also known as Anthony R., is the right hand and partner in crime to Matt H. of the Tower Junkies and Obsessive Viewer Podcast, two podcasts I'm subscribed to and absolutely adore. Anthony is a blazing star and incredibly well-read and well-watched in all things King on screen and cinema in general. So please come close and hear our wonderfully articulated conversation where we discuss Christine, the Dark Tower, the Dead Zone, Lisey's story, the Torrance family, and how we were both the odd slash rare kids who listened to their parents when we were told to stay away from scary books. Check it out. Thank you for being my constant reader interview today. Welcome to the year of underrated Stephen King, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. Oh my goodness, me too. Anthony, of course, is also known as Tiny, the partner in crime to Matt from Tower Junkies. So, so excited to have you with me in the hot seat. Would you care to kick off our questions, Anthony? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So my first one, of course, is immediately seeking the first Stephen King title you ever read. And how old were you? I was 12 years old, prime of my life. Um, it was the summer of 1999, uh, which is a significant number in the Stephen King averse. Uh, so that's kind of worth noting. I had gotten a new bike and it was summertime. So the world was my oyster. And so <laughs> I uh, uh, spent a lot of time that summer riding my bike to the local library and I grew up in a house of readers. So my mom and dad, big readers. Um, my mom can knock out, she's one of those people who can knock out a book in a day, no problem. My dad reads the newspaper and magazines all the time. So I, and you know, they exposed me to that. And so um, the house I grew up in had Stephen King books in it. And uh, I didn't, I didn't um, I actually listened to my parents in that regard. And they were like, no, you can't read that. That's not, you're too young for it. And uh, thankfully I didn't, break that rule and, you know, pull the stand off the shelf and start reading through it when I was 10 or nine years old. So as soon as I was able to go to the library by myself and had a little bit of freedom, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to dive into this. And I immediately went to the Stephen King section and I was very intrigued by the cover of Christine with the uh, cherry red Plymouth Fury on the cover of it. And uh, that is the first book I ever read. And I absolutely loved it. And I was a fan from that point forward, and I haven't stopped ever since. In seventh grade, actually, which was the that August I went into seventh grade, I we had a book report and we could choose any book we wanted to for uh, English class in seventh grade, and I chose The Shining. So <laughs> nice. Yep. So my first book was Christine, though, and uh, it's still one of my one of my favorites. It's on my uh, it's on one of my favorite Stephen King books, probably one of my favorite books. Period. So I still love that one. 
Oh, I love it. I have not read Christine yet. I know for shame, but I'm kind of mm. saving it. I'm saving, I think later on in in time, I hope to do a segment on the three C's, Carrie, Christine, Cujo, <laughs> and like kind of hit them all. But I'm so glad that Christine is such a treasured one for you. Awesome. Because I, I had a very similar upbringing in terms of my dad told me, don't read Stephen King, you'll have nightmares, and I listened. So did your parents warn you because he was horror or they felt you weren't mature enough yet for the content? I think it was a maturity thing more than anything. I remember a similar time, I want to say 95 or 96, when the movie Scream came out, all my friends were going to see it. I was in fifth grade, maybe. And uh, I was like the last person to ever see it like two years later. Um, and so <laughs> my parents sheltered me from from those things, probably wisely, you know, I, I don't, uh, looking back as an adult, you know, you can, you can understand the reasoning, and it was probably a good thing. So um, I didn't get to watch rated R movies till I was 13, maybe. So uh, they, they just kind of sheltered me from that stuff. Maybe sheltered is the wrong word, but you know, protected me from any kind of illicit content. So uh, I think that was the bigger thing. I don't, I don't know, know if it was necessarily because it was a lot of horror. I don't, I don't think so. So because I haven't read Christine, I don't know how much horror is inside that novel. So when you were kind of attracted by the really cool car on the cover, did you know, oh, this guy writes horror? Or was it something that you discovered by the time you got to the Overlook Hotel? I think I knew that he made scary movies. Another kind of poignant moment from my childhood that sort of funneled me towards, I think, uh, enthusiasm for Stephen King is uh, the movie. I'm a huge movie fan too. Um, you know, we that's the first podcast I ever did. We talk about movies and TV shows. I've always been that way. And uh, I want to say 93, maybe? I can't remember the year, but uh, when the movie Twister came out, we saw the movie Twister. And if folks remember in that movie, there's a famous scene where a drive-through gets taken out by a tornado and the movie, the movie plan on the drive-through is the shining. And when it gets the, the, the screen gets taken out in the movie, uh, it is the famous scene where uh, Jack Torrance is chopping down the door with the ax. The here's Johnny scene, one of the most famous scenes in Hollywood. I was a ripe old age of seven or eight years old when that movie came out. And I remember looking at my dad and I was like, what, what is that movie? tell me what that movie is. I want to see it. My dad was like, no, you can't see that movie right now. So <laughs> that, that's kind of where it piqued my interest was, was that seeing that movie. I, I think I knew he was kind of a horror writer going in. I wasn't sure how much horror was involved in Christine. I just saw that really cool car. Um, and I wanted to, wanted to experience that story. So. Love it. I love that there's always unique paths to King. And I love when it's not the conventional, like, oh, I'm, I'm such a horror kid and I just had to get my hands on spooky stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. I think that I like to hear of the varied uh, sort of forest bramble paths that people find on their way to King. It's great. So you and Matt on Tower Junkies have each top 19, your your favorite top 19, which is their great list. If you guys haven't checked them out, please do so. But have you read everything in King's catalog or about how many books are you in? Man, I wish I have. I'm probably about, as far as novels go, I'm probably about halfway 
uh, he's got 50, I, I should know this, uh, 58, maybe something like that novels. I've maybe read about half of them. I think a big blind spot for me is uh, his short stories. I've only read a handful of them. Uh, last year, Matt and I read through uh, different seasons, which has basically his biggest ones, uh, Shawshank Redemption and uh, Apt Pupil. Um, gosh, I can't even. Uh, breathing Method and. Breathing Method. The Body. The Body. Gosh, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> it was a year ago. So, um, yes, but it yeah. was. Yes, it was. Right. So I had seen, uh, I hadn't even seen Stand By Me. I hadn't seen the movie. So I had like no experience with that story. Um, that was a great experience last year. So it really has me wanting to explore his short stories more. And uh, Matt has really been diving into his short stories over the last couple of years. He's consumed several of his collections um, and he tells me about them. I'm like, that sounds fantastic. I want to read those. So that's something I kind of want to focus on for the future as far as um, consuming Stephen King. Eventually I'll get around to all the novels, but why rush? You know, you've got... Uh, that you can't rush books, you know, you gotta, you gotta experience them in the right, the right way, you know? Absolutely. I'm with you there. I'm, I've barely, I'm very late to the King party. I started reading him at 26 years old. So I am now about 10 years older than that and have been slowly making my way through all the novels. So I'm in the same page as you. So my next question kind of has to do with looking back at the titles you have read previously do you have any stephen king titles that you just you just don't like you you just can't enjoy it you hate it but everybody loves it and on the other hand are there any titles that you super love but you notice that others don't feel the same hmm i think as far as something i love that others hate I really don't know if there are any that fall into that category. I think the book uh, Cell, which came out early 2000s, I want to say, is pretty resoundingly crapped on, <laughs> for oh, lack yeah. of a better term. Uh, most people don't like it, even King fans. Um, and I read it, and I was like, yeah, it's not very good, but it's still, I think the reason why it kind of sticks in my head as a positive read is that it has some great character work in it, which is, you know, arguably Stephen King's greatest strength as a writer is his character work, um, developing them the way they interact with each other and the way they are transformed by their experiences. And I, I think there's some great characters in Cell. Um, it's it's kind of a goofy plot and uh, it drags on several times, but it's, um, it's uh, for whatever reason, I, I remember some of those characters and some of their interactions. And uh, it's, I wouldn't say I love it and others hate it, but uh, I, I hold it in a little bit higher regard than I think a lot of fans do. And then as far as something I hate that others love, I don't know if I have anything that really qualifies. Maybe Lisey's story. We, we uh, read that last year, the year before. I think that book is incredibly brilliant and it is remarkably personal for Stephen King but I could not connect to that book I was very <laughs> I was very confused I was very lost I I wanted so badly to fall into that world and be consumed and lost in it but I just couldn't and, and I hate that because again I could pick up on how heartfelt that book was for him and how much it meant to him but it just it just 
was so over my head. Uh, th there were large chunks of it where I was completely lost. Um, I stuck with it and I, I, I watched it all, or I'm sorry, I read it all. And then uh, I think it was also last year, the miniseries came out on Apple TV and I watched that. And um, I think it had sort of a similar kind of a similar theme or a, a similar response to it. It was, uh, it's a very, the word I kept coming back to when we were talking about it was it's very inaccessible. I don't, I don't think it's an easy read. I don't think it was, I don't think the show was an easy watch. It's uh, it's just very cerebral. It jumps around a lot. There's a lot of stuff at play, but I do think it's a remarkable story. And uh, I, I want to give it a shot again sometime. And, and I think there's a lot of people who think it's a great book. And uh, I, if I, remember correctly you're a pretty big fan of it aren't you i am <laughs> okay yeah so sorry <laughs> no no i'm so first of all that was so well said that was so well put because i could not agree with you more okay. one of the things that i talk about in regards to lisi's story is that this book is bananaballs.com like this thing <laughs> is nuts like <laughs> this is just it's like a book that's written in code and it's almost yeah. as if he just wants you to dig your way through it and it took me three times i had to read it three times on wow. the second time is when i really like started to get a little spoony for it because i was like okay this this thing is like you said brilliant like there's something he's doing here that is it's madness and genius and it's a fine line and you know on one page it's madness and on the next page it's genius and so the i definitely think you're on the right track in time when you give it another read it'll reveal more to you on the second read because I also, I'm so glad you brought up the show because I loved the hell out of the Apple TV production. I thought that was so well done, but I also felt that show was written for readers of the book. Like if yes. you, if you did not read the book, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> you're, you're in for a trippy ride. That's all I could say, but no, couldn't agree with you more. Lovely sea story, but that book I always call, I refer to it in my coverage uh, as capstone level king like this is thesis level that is okay. it is one of the hardest stephen king books i've encountered thus far because it's so polarizing and it like fights the reader it's like make it, it fights you because you're like i'm so lost <laughs> i'm so confused i'm in the dark by myself i'm in booyah moon and i'm just ready for the monster to eat me because i'm confused right perfectly perfectly said couldn't agree with you more okay yeah, yeah, we're, I'm with you there. My next question, I wanted to, now that we kind of talked a little bit about novels and what we've danced around with, some of the ones we love, the ones we don't, I want to jump over, as you mentioned, King and his extraordinary work with characters. Do you have a favorite villain or villains in the King universe? Hmm. This is another tough one. I think the easy slash best answer is Randall flag, the man in black, which is, you know, kind of the same character from the stand and the dark tower. It's, it's, it's his quintessential villain. He's used him so many times. He is evil and mischievous. And, and I think the, the, the mischief is, is the most fun part of, of him and why he's so much, he's so enjoyable to read. So that's, I think that's the, the easy answer, my fun answer, and the one that I would probably go with officially is Christine, because uh, I know you haven't read it, but it just shouldn't work. 
uh, that book should not work. <laughs> it should be silly, right? right? If you just say say to yourself the premise of that book, it's a book about an evil car. And that's like something a 10-year-old would write, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> it's silly. So uh, it kind of makes you laugh. But then you get into it, and it just works so well. King just made it work so well. And also I'll say John Carpenter nailed the movie in, in the 80s. I adore the movie. I'm also a huge John Carpenter fan, so I'm a little biased in that regard. But I, I would recommend that movie to anybody. I think it's fantastic. But yeah, just Christine, because it's so fun, I think would be my uh, my kind of fun answer for that. Because it just shouldn't work, but it does. Oh, those are great. Yeah, I'm just now, I'm about to start Wizard in Glass. So I just kind of learned that Randall Flagg was in the Wastelands. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing here, buddy? So I'm kind of learning, oh gosh, this guy is versatile. This guy is all mm -hmm. over the place. So Piggybacking off of villains, do you have a favorite King character or one that you would like to see in either a sequel or their own standout novel like we had with Dr. Sleep and Danny? Uh, do you have any character that you just want to see have their own standout spotlight? Yeah, you know, we spent about a year going through the entire Shining and Doctor Sleep, the, the the miniseries, the movie, the the new movie that came out, uh, the Doctor Sleep movie, and uh, we spent a lot of time with the Torrance family, and I really don't think it's necessary as as a fan of the books and the movies, the series, and just a fan of the family, like the Torrance family. I feel like I have a special relationship with them. I don't think it's essential for there to be a third book from Stephen King about the Torrances, but man, the completionist in me really wants to see it. <laughs> um, if Abra Stone, you know, could have a story sort of like with Danny, where it's decades in the future and she's still dealing with the trauma from, um, from her childhood and from her, her gift or curse, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, just the, the Torrance family, they hold a special place in my heart. They really do. I read um, The Shining when I was 12 uh, in seventh grade for that book report. And it was one of those moments where I couldn't put the book down and I stayed up till three in the morning reading it. And the point when I stopped at three in the morning was the point where Danny goes into room uh, 237. Oh, God. And I didn't, I don't think I slept that night. I might've fallen asleep an hour or two before my alarm clock went off. It was like a school night and everything. It was really bad, but I was so into the book. And when I got to that moment, I was so terrified that I, I was like, I have to stop or I'm not going to be able to go to sleep tonight. So I, I, I read The Shining when I was 12 years old. And then I read Dr. Sleep when I was in my 30s. Um, I've seen the movie countless times. I've watched Dr. Sleep several times. Um, I, I feel like I have a special relationship with the, uh, the Torrance family, not just Jack or Danny, but all of them, really. I think Wendy gets um, lost in the shuffle, which is really a shame because, uh, and I think I think the, the quintessential um, pop culture iconography of The Shining is Stanley Kubrick's movie. And I know Stephen King has issues with it and some other King fans have issues with it. I love it, but one of the, one of the things that is a real shame about it is the character of Wendy was a shell and just really, really a, a disregarded character. And she's so much more than that in the book and, and I, that's why when the movie Dr. Sleep came out a few years ago, 2019, I think, 
what was done with the character in that movie, I'm not going to spoil anything, brought me to tears. I was so beyond thrilled sitting in the movie theater watching that movie, what they, uh, what Mike Flanagan did for that character and what did he, he did for the Torrance family. I felt like he was helping out a family friend of mine when he wrote such a beautiful, just a beautiful characterization of, of Wendy Torrance in that movie. So yeah, that's a kind of very long winded way to say that I love the Torrances and I, uh, I don't think it's necessary, but I would love to see a third Torrance family, the shining franchise book, just because it's so great. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And oh, man, I mean, Flanagan just doesn't do any wrong in my eyes. And I adore Dr. Sleep. And I yeah, now that you mentioned it, it the, the grace he gave to, to Wendy was pretty spectacular. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think a Wendy Torrance standout, I'd be there for it all over the place. But the Torrance family looking at that unit, it, it's compelling. It's amazing. And so you mentioned reading the Shining as a youth and then rereading it again in your 30s? Or was that Dr. Sleep you read in your 30s? Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I read um, The Shining when I was 12. And I, for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure why, I didn't come back to it till 2019. So it had been, wow. um, yeah, that was, gee, that was 20 years. It was 20 years between readings of The Shining. And uh, I was so mad at myself for not coming back to it sooner because it, it the second read through was absolutely phenomenal that kind of leads me into my next question about rereading king and which titles did sort of become greater than they ever had been or maybe less than you remembered uh, so the shining reading it as an adult rather than as a child what was that like and were there any other king titles where the second read was just huge yeah, I again I don't want to harp on the shining but yeah that that was really an incredible experience reading that book again just it helps solidify how how that that is my favorite thing from the Stephen King universe and then his his works is the Torrance family so that that really was part of solidifying that in 2019 when we went through that whole franchise that was just so remarkable um I had forgotten how great of a character Wendy was in the book you know I I had been since I had read it when I was 12, I had seen Stanley Kubrick's movie, gosh, probably half a dozen times in those years. And I love that movie, but, you know, I just keep picturing Wendy as Shelley Duvall and her performance. And I feel so bad for Shelley Duvall because she was famously basically tortured by Stanley Kubrick during the, f the filming of that movie. And it's absolutely not her fault why that character is kind of terrible. But that was what I had in my head for Wendy. And so rereading the book and then also watching uh, the miniseries from the 90s, which is you kind of have to grade it on a curve. It's it's a yeah. television. Television was very different in the 90s. But focus on the writing and then some of the acting. You know, there's a lot of hokey, hokey uh, campiness in that series. But I really love the chemistry between uh, Rebecca De Mornay and uh, Stephen Weber as Wendy and Jack Torrance. They really nailed the relationship. And I I loved that. And. It just reminded me how great it was. Um, another one was Misery. I reread Misery that, that same summer. I also read Misery back in 1999. I got it from the local Speedway library and uh, it was incredible. And I liked it as a 12 year old, but I think a lot of the psychology was very over my head and I didn't fully understand the absolute horror that Paul Sheldon was put through in that book. And 
rereading it last year, I think, or in the last two years in my mid thirties, I was like sick. I was like sick to my stomach reading. Uh, there's some later scenes where it's no secret. Uh, it's not a spoiler. Um, Andy Wilkes is cutting parts off of his body in that book. And I don't know if it just didn't land for 12 year old Anthony or what, but <laughs> reading it as in my mid thirties, I was sick. And I was like, I would, I don't think I would survive that. I think I would have succumbed in to, to shock or to just withdraw, you know, all the horrible things that Paul Sheldon went through is just remarkable. And, and this, the sheer, the sheer psychopathy of Annie Wilkes is, is just, it just jumped out to me so much more in, in my thirties. And I, th- I think it's maturity. You know, I think when you're 12 years old, you want to see, you know, you want to see blood and guts, you know, you want to, you want to look at the, you want to read the book with the cool car on the cover and you want to hear the stories about the pretty girl and sex and all that stuff. Cause you're 12 years old and you're immature, but when you get older, <laughs> you can, you can boil down to the actual uh, substance and the, subtext and the character interactions and the relationships that King just hits out of the park and, and rereading those two ones, especially the shining and misery really drove that home for me that he's my favorite author. And I think he should be held in the highest regard. So those were two, two pivotal ones. Oh, amazing. Oh gosh. (laughs) I a thousand percent agree with you on, I, I would not have survived Annie Wilkes. Anthony, yeah. no, I would have swallowed <laughs> all the Novril. I would have overdosed and died in the cabin <laughs> happily, blissfully died because I read Misery for the very first time in my life last year. I've okay. never read it before, nor had I seen the film in its entirety. I'd just seen like a couple clips here. Mm-hmm. I barely made it. I barely made it through at 150 pages, which is about half the book. I, w- I wanted to give up. It took all the will (laughs) to to make it through that damn book because i was so so traumatized by what was happening to paul so you're not alone there it hits harder after 30 yes it does i'm glad i'm not the only one no you are not oh my gosh i love how we kind of keep coming back to the year 1999 as well because one of my favorite king novels and this is you know not a popular one but i love the girl who loved tom gordon and trisha's nine in that book so she wasn't our age but i was 13 in 1999 so i was kind of i feel very connected like oh we were on the same age so anytime yeah. i think 1999 i think of trisha from the girl who loved tom gordon which not a lot of people love and that's okay but yeah. i just imagine the two of us as youths just discovering yeah that's that's nice and serendipitous isn't it yeah i love it i'm gonna pivot for a quick second and just kind okay. of lay this question down anthony what are your thoughts regarding the Dark Tower? Oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> so I have often referred to the Dark Tower as my favorite piece of art. And it's funny because I didn't come to the Dark Tower until I was in my early 20s, 10 or 12 years ago. It was a big blind spot for me in the Stephen King world for quite a long time. And I, and I think I avoided it because it was so spread out. The last book had just come out, I think, or I know, I guess it had been out for a handful of years when I first started reading the series. But some people, you know, they read The Gunslinger back in the 80s and they didn't get to finish that series till 2007, I want to say, or something wow. like that. 
I can't imagine that. I, I don't know if I could if I could hold on for that long. But um, I'm glad I waited because I think reading all seven books in about the span of a year is, is when I read it for the first time. I think that was kind of pivotal for me. I think what sets it apart is the fact that it was pretty unique for, you know, so, so it was unique for King to tackle something like that because he's unfortunately kind of typecast as a, as a horror author and you know that's his biggest stuff and that's fine I, I you know I have no problem with people kind of putting him in that box but he some of his best works are not horror you know 11 63 um the green mile isn't really horror um yeah there's tons of other examples and uh, uh Shawshank Redemption I mean that's you know one of his most famous properties so but typically he kind of sticks to a genre you know he kind of does he'll do some kind of like cop mystery things over the last couple of years with the, uh, oh, the uh, Mr. Mercedes series. Those were some fun books and he'll do some, The Outsider was kind of fun, you know, kind of some mystery, a little bit of horror thrown in there. But what's so unique about The Dark Tower is it's a lot of different genres in one. It has, it, at its core, I think it's an adventure, um, an adventure story, but it's very deeply rooted in Westerns, spaghetti Westerns. Uh, there is some straight up sci-fi in that series. And of course there's horror in there and just, just very intense drama uh, between characters and, and, and in the story. Um, so it touches on so many different genres. There is literally something for anybody. I don't care what you're into. Um, I don't care if you're a Dungeons and Dragons fan, you'll love it. If you're into D and D role-playing Tolkien, um, his, his world, it, he references that quite a bit in this dark, the Dark Tower. Um, like I said, there's there's sci-fi, there's horror, there's a great love story between more than a few characters. Um, it just kind of has everything. And to kind of cap it off, it has, in my opinion, and you know, I've only read through uh, about half his novels. It has, in my opinion, his best ending. And I, I think that's. I don't want to say it's universal. Nothing's universal in art it's pretty well renowned by a lot of fans of the dark tower that they like the ending and and stephen king uh, is famously is kind of critical of endings which is a weird sentence but he he says you know p- people focus way too much on endings like you know you had such a great time with the journey there why are you gonna you know if you go on a two-week vacation and you have a great time you you drink you eat you laugh you learn you lay on a beach whatever but your flight gets canceled on the way back and you have to stay an extra day and you have a bad flight or it rained. You're going to, you're going to focus on the last day being crappy. No, you're going to remember all the good times. And that's sort of Stephen King's relationship to endings. And he's had some kind of bad endings, you know, to be honest, as a big fan, there's some of his endings are not very good, but he nailed this one. And, and it, it is, it crushed me. And it's one of the most tragic things I've ever read. I don't want to spoil, I'm not gonna spoil it, but I hope that wasn't a spoiler, but you know, it's, it is extremely tragic and also really amazing. And, and, you know, I, maybe some people interpret it differently and maybe they think it's actually hopeful, you know, that that's, what's another great thing about it is I think you can interpret it different ways. So I, I used to say, (laughs) it's been a while, but I used to say, I think about the dark tower every day and, (laughs) It's still a relatively accurate statement. <laughs> I have a lot going on right now since I used to say that. I've gotten married and I have a dog and I have a 
I have a big boy job now. I'm not just sitting around at night reading books on, on the job, you know, so it, <laughs> it's, it's much harder for the dark tower to find its way into my thoughts, but, uh, it's pretty, it has a very special corner of my thoughts and of my mind. And, uh, it's, it's my favorite thing. Maybe, maybe even more than the Torrance family. It's my favorite thing in the <gasps> Stephen King world. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, beautifully said. That was so gorgeous. I, I, appreciate that so much and it makes me very excited for the road ahead because i am just making my way through the dark tower for the very first time and i'm about to pick up wizard and glass and okay. i've never read it before and i just uh last christmas like right before christmas finished the wastelands and i was like oh my god there's this giant giant beyond giant monorail that like what the hell? <laughs> so I'm so excited for the journey ahead. I really, really am. I'm glad you made it through uh, the first one, the gunslinger. Cause it's, I think part of why it's sort of become inaccessible or it's not, it didn't take off as the first one is it's a bit of a slog. I mean, it, it has its issues and it's a odd book. It, it actually kind of reminds me of Lisey's story. I, I loved your, um, your analogy that it's like chaos and, uh, what did you say? Greatness or something like that, or or madness on one page and then madness brilliance and on the genius. other. Yep. 100%. Madness and yeah, that's that's perfect. That's I feel like that's how the first Dark Tower book is, and and it's I think that kind of throws a lot of people off. Um, some people kind of consider it a prequel or a um, a long preamble, if you will, and some people actually recommend to their friends to start with the second book. And I don't know that I'd recommend that. I I guess it depends on the person you're recommending it to, but. Uh, it's it's hard to get into. I'll put it that way. So uh, I'm glad you made it through the first one, and you're actually you're you're pretty pretty well uh, pretty well into it. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, I I think that might I could see that. I could see how advising somebody to just start with drawing of the three might be wise. Because I get it. Because gunslinger's nuts. That is just bananas. Yeah. But what I loved about Gunslinger, what got me on board was that fireside chat with the man in black. Like when yep. he sits down and they do the tarot cards, I was like, okay, King, now you're cooking with gas. Like I'm here <laughs> for it. Okay. So I, yeah, I would, I would even, I'd be one of the people that say, how about you just start at the last book of the gunslinger? <laughs> like there's this, there's yeah. this cowboy, there's this guy. And then he right. Yeah. So some stuff happens, this kid, he lets go of, he kind of falls. And then you get to this cool fireside chat. Then you should start reading, but no, cool. I have fallen in love. I think there's just no better phrase than I have fallen in love with Roland and the dark tower great um i'll also say to you and to other fans don't sleep on the dark tower comics uh marvel actually printed them uh and there's quite a few of them out there there's some great stuff in there uh the first one that ever came out is sort of a just a retelling of the gunslinger um but the artwork is just out of this world so um if, if you're in the mood or if you're wanting more or something definitely do not sleep on the dark tower comics from marvel they're fantastic oh i 
I'm looking forward to them. I chatted with Matt a couple months back about The Wastelands and just the first three books. And he mentioned that I probably should wait till I read all the books before I go digging in the comics. Is this this is correct, right? Because it might reveal stuff. Yes, absolutely. He's right there. Yeah. I, like I said, if you've read them all and you want more, definitely go towards them. Yeah. Okay. Copy that. I, yes. Good to know. So I know that you kind of mentioned endings a little bit on how this has a beautiful ending uh, or the dark tower which encourages me so much i'm so excited to hear that there's a beautiful ending uh waiting through this journey but is there king books that you have read where yes we need to focus on the journey but on some of the longer ones where maybe you've been reading it for six weeks and you get to the end and you're like god damn it this is just so (laughs) unsatisfying it kind of ruins the journey for me. Have you had a king title that's done that? Or are you able to just kind of focus on the journey rather than the final note? Um, I think I'm really good at going along for the ride. Like I said, I'm a big movie fan and, um, a a lot of very common, uh, trope in movies over the last, you know, probably 20 to 30 years is, putting twists in movies. You know, when I, when I was coming of age, M night Shyamalan was blowing up with six Sense, signs. All those movies were just huge. And I was a big fan. I still, I still really appreciate those movies. I know there's a lot of controversy around him as a filmmaker, but he would throw these massive twists into his movies and I never see him coming. Even if it's a simple twist in a non Shyamalan movie, I never see them coming. I'm so bad predicting oh this person was the bad guy the whole time that guy's the killer or i i'm so bad at it and i think the reason i thought it was because i was just dumb or something for a long time but (laughs) i think it's actually because i just like to be along for the ride and i don't want to know what's going to happen and i want to be in the moment of a story like i'm one of those people that will be having lunch at a taco bell and i'm watching something on netflix on my phone and i kind of forget that i'm in a taco bell because i'm so into this moment in a in a uh, any kind of show or movie um i've been watching the last season of ozark on my phone on my lunch breaks and i'm like oh i'm in a burger king right now i kind of forgot i thought i was at the lake of the ozarks getting a gun pointed in my face you know um so yeah i kind of i don't even know where i was going with that but yeah i'm just i like to be along for the ride and so i don't know if there's anything that's ruined an ending that's ruined a book for me. Um, I think Dreamcatcher, I remember being like, oh, that was it. You know, um, uh, I think Under the Dome has kind of a goofy, um, kind of a goofy ending, but it did not even come close to ruining the book for me. I, that's another book I need to revisit. I've only, I've only read it once and uh, my buddy Matt adores it and he's read it like six times. So I need to go back to that one. But uh, I, yeah, I, I, I've definitely been disappointed by endings, but I guess I'm, I'm just good at being along for the ride. So I, I don't really let that, uh, you know, ruin the experience for me. Nice. I think you're like a perfect King fan, really. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I think that that's, that's how it should be. I think that we should always be focused on the journey for sure. Yeah. Under the dome is, very cool like that's kind of a definite master class that one however 
I I struggled with the ending and I I had to really like beautiful mind my way out of it. Like I had to <laughs> make graphs and charts and like really sort of uh sometimes I have to self edit. Like I do edit episodes in my mind. Like I had a real problem with Tommy Knockers, which that one is notoriously infamously a bad book. King has even said it is such. Yeah. Um because he's, you know, like that was the book right before sobriety. Uh, so it, mm-hmm. it's a hot mess. It's a garbage fire, and he's admitted it, and it is. There's good stuff in it, though, and there's stuff worth examining. Um, so I do some editing in my mind. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> how I get to sleep at night. But I'm glad that overall you're always focused on the journey, which is awesome to hear. So being yeah. that this is a show that celebrates the underrated, do you have any king picks that you feel need to be more popular or need to be more widely read and they aren't um i would say um i would say christine i you know i i think um i think it kind of i don't i don't know if, i don't i guess i don't really know but i think the movie sort of overshadows it a little bit you know uh john carpenter was kind of at his peak in the eighties, you know, he was riding the high from the Halloween franchise and he was really taken off as a filmmaker. And I think a lot of kind of gen X, the generation X really latched on to that version of that story. And so I feel like the book kind of gets lost a little bit. So I think that's kind of an underrated one. Gerald's game. I slept on that one hard for years. That was such a cool book. And it's, again, it's one of those, one of those stories that shouldn't make sense. Um, it shouldn't work kind of like Christine, you know, the, it, it's, there's, it's, it's the, the bulk of the book is a woman handcuffed to a bed. That's, I mean, it's kind of an interesting premise, but it's like, okay, how are you going to do this? You know? And then Mike Flanagan made it into a movie and I was really like, how are you going to do this, man? This is, is going to be tough. And that brilliant son of a bitch pulled it off. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. So yeah, Gerald's game is another one that's kind of slept on. And the dead zone, the dead zones one too. Uh, the movie is not great. I, I didn't care for the movie. I, I think the reason I always bring up the movies is because I feel like movies tend to take over a lot in the Stephen King world. It, you know, in the last five, seven years, I'm so thrilled it took off, you know, that, uh, that the part one was fantastic part two and not as great, you know. I think the enthusiasm is about the movies a lot of the time. The Shining, I, I think it's pop culture. Uh, it, it's pop culture peak is Stanley Kubrick's movie. I think more, way more people have seen the movie than the book, but yeah, I, I think that uh, I think the dead zone is, is really kind of slept on because the movie kind of sucked, but that was my favorite King book for a long time. I just, I loved the slow burn of that book really kind of a fun, not fun, but a um, touching love story in that book. And um, also kind of uh kind of topical, kind of poignant uh, in, a, in a political respect to uh, modern times. Stephen King has gotten a lot of I don't, praise and or flack over the last handful of years because of the stand and because of, you know, how a lot of people respond to politicians. And, and you know, he kind of had this almost clairvoyance with the stand and the dead zone. And it's, uh, it's kind of intriguing. But uh, yeah, those are a few. I, I really love the Dead Zone. So people should give that give that a read. Gerald's Games, another one, and Christine. Those are those are good ones. So nice, such a great list. 
I, I agree with you with, with Cronenberg's The Dead Zone. It's it's so highly praised, but I was like, this is fine. Like, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I liked fine. the, right, the performances are, are I love Stilson. Um, Martin Sheen as yes. Greg Stilson was great. I was like, okay, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Martin Sheen. So that part I liked, but no, I agree with you. The book, I feel, totally captures the tragic nature of Johnny Smith, like, when I first read The Dead Zone, I finished it and I was like, I don't I don't know how I feel. I don't like this. Like what what am I feeling? And it wasn't until I fully let the ocean wave of tragedy crash over me that Johnny Smith's fate is so damn sad. And the love story yeah. he should have had with Sarah, I think her name is, like it's just mm -hmm. so sad. And when you just let that smash you it is a beautiful beautiful book yes and i kind of love that he got to choose his fate in a way you know he kind of makes the choice to do what he does at the end you know i i think that's i think i do think he was destined for it i do think it is fate i think that's a proper term but he still had a choice in the end and i i kind of love that he chose that it's um it's heroic in in a way yeah i i really i, I love the dead zone it's it's a great one I love Blaze of Glory endings for characters. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. It just makes everything super duper poignant and they get the last word. They get the last say. And especially with a character as tragic as Johnny, I was totally for it. Yeah. So we are making our way down these lovely sets of questions. So I know that every now and again we encounter in our lives the non-king reader, the the elusive non-king fan. When you're talking to a non-king person, somebody who's like, oh, I don't read scary stuff, but like, what do you recommend? What are the kind of titles that you might bring to them? If it's If you want to scare someone, I think you really need to understand them as a person. And what scares someone is so subjective. If you want to have a fun little listen, um, go back seven, eight years in the Obsessive Viewer podcast and Matt and I and our friend Mike did an episode on what scares us for uh, Halloween. And uh, we all had different answers. You know, it's funny. And the, the stuff that scares Mike, I don't really find it scary. You know, it's, it's, it's so subjective. And so I think you really need to understand who you're trying to sell a book to. And, you know, I, I think... For me, something terrifying is Annie Wilkes in the in misery, right? You know the the psychology of that and the mental torture that Paul Sheldon goes through is horrifying to me as a thirty five year old. But when I was fifteen, if you had, I would have liked the book, of course, but I don't know how scared I was. You know, when I read it when I was twelve, I don't know how scared I was. Um, so there's it's 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 a tricky thing to sell sell a scary book, but um, I think Pennywise, the dancing clown is pretty damn objectively scary. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's the def definition of, of terror. He, he knows how to, he it really gets around the problem of understanding someone because Pennywise understands everyone's fears and he can embody people's fears. And that's just inherently terrifying. Um, so if you're trying to scare someone, I think it is pretty quintessential. The problem is it's a thousand pages long and there's big time jumps and not everybody's into that. So as far as scaring people, I think it is a great choice, but to kind of flip this, the question a little bit, 
I said earlier, Stephen King is kind of typecast as a horror author. And it's, again, I'm fine with it because his biggest properties, but uh, he has so many great novels that aren't horror. And uh, I think that's the harder thing to do if you have someone who's, who's a reader who just doesn't like horror, can't get into it, or they're a big pansy or something like that. <laughs> and so they, they just can't get into the horror. I think trying to find something that they can get into is a bigger challenge. I think I haven't even read the book, but the green mile, I loved the movie when I was a kid. That's not particularly scary, really. It's not a horror book by any means, but I think that has a lot of uh, shocking and there's some disturbing things in there for sure, but I don't know about sheer horror, but there's some really gentle, kind, touching things in that book as well. My uh, speaking of other readers, my mother-in-law is a prolific reader. She reads every day. And I have been trying for seven years since I've known my wife and known my mother-in-law, I've been trying to get her to read some Stephen King. She absolutely hates horror and she, she doesn't like the movies. She doesn't like books. She, and so she just completely has never, she never read anything Stephen King. I keep trying to get her to read 11, 22, 63. Yeah. I think she would love that book. And it's, there's no horror in that book. It is, it's historical. She was alive when that event happened, you know, and she's, I'm sure she's pondered who really killed JFK and stuff like that. So I, I have tried to sell her on that book so many times and she has yet to, yet to read it. But um, it, it is an interesting topic. I could probably talk for a while about recommending King books to other people. It is a, there's so much out there. That's the other thing. He's got almost 60 novels. There's, there's a lot to choose from. Um, and all these pop culture references, uh, regarding his persona and his body of work. So it, it can be a tricky thing, but if, if you're a true fan and you can, uh, eh, true fans, a, a crappy term. I hate it when people say that if you're a fan, I think you can find something to recommend to somebody, but the key is kind of understanding what they're really looking for and who they are. Oh, I love that. That's so, I'm so hopeful that your mother-in-law will give 11, 22, 63 a spin because that book is a game changer oh my gosh love it it is amazing isn't it oh my gosh so yeah she and i think her generation needs it i think i think king wrote it for them i really do oh i agree totally yeah he wrote it to be an absolute thrill ride for all of us but like oh man that is such a love letter to to america in the 60s yeah. and to everybody who went through that because apparently it was some real life trauma with a big T for the country. So yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree more. I often struggle with meeting those non King readers in my life. And you're absolutely right. You have to do some digging. You have to kind of find out, all right, you're not a horror person. That's fine. That's fine. Here's where, here's where we can go. The Green Mile is incredible, Anthony. So if you can take some time in the future to do the paperback installments like the little 90 page little mm -hmm. babies that is a true joy that is an amazing reading experience i highly recommend yeah uh, yeah the green mile shot into my top five. Oh, awesome after i read it i spent some time chatting about each one of the six parts and i immediately i was sobbing so much at the end and after a few days, I was like, that's it. It's a top fiver for sure. Like in a snap, it locked right into place. So I'm definitely encouraging you give it a read one of these days. 
I love to hear that. It's it's high on my list, so I'll I'll get to it sooner rather than later. Fantastic. We're winding down just a little bit here. So I wanted to dive right into the top three or top five. And this could be Stephen King titles across the board. It could be novels only. I know that you've got the top 19 list. You can switch them out. You can change it up. Hmm. But what are your top three or your top five? And why do you feel they're there? Well, since I have a whole 19 to choose from, I'll go with the bigger number. I'll go with five. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my number five is The Dark Tower number two, Drawing of the Three. So good. Yeah, I I just love um, I love a team up. I just I love it. Like uh, the the uh, the first Avengers movie that came out, you know, ten years ago at this point. That's still one of my favorites, and I still throw it on to watch it just because characters gelling, people butt heads, and then they they come together. They become friends, unlikely friends. Some people fall in love with each other. I just love a team up, and uh, that's what the drawing of the three is. And it's such a unlikely ragtag group of folks who team up in that there's a they're from literally from different timelines and uh all different ages different races they're from different worlds literally it's such a it's such an unlikely pairing that that leads to such great character interaction so that's uh number five on my list please stop me if i keep going too long on these oh no we're here for it you are guest of honor so go 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 okay uh, number four is The Shining. Um, like I said, I've read it twice. We've spent a lot of time talking about it, but um, we have some great episodes on The Shining property. So if you want to hear more thoughts, definitely head over to TowerJunkiesPod.com. And I, I try not to spend too much time talking about The Shining when we're on that podcast because I'm like, we pretty much talk The Shining to death. <laughs> but I love it. It's just so it's so damn good. One One thing I haven't brought up about it yet that really jumped out to me both times that I read it is the history of the Overlook Hotel. There's like a whole chapter or two where Jack Torrance is rifling through um, the records yeah. and the newspaper clippings. Absolutely. Yeah. Like in down in the cellar or down in the boiler room or wherever. And he's literally exploring the history of the Overlook Hotel for, I, I want to say a good 50 pages plus. And even as a 12 year old, I was like, huh, this is really interesting. I'm really into this. And I am a big fan of history. When I first went to college, I minored in history and I wanted to be a history teacher. Nice. Um, and yeah, and to this day, I still I still read a lot of nonfiction. I read historical books. Um, I love American history. I love world history. And so I think King was speaking to me when he included that in the included that in the book. That's just one of those fun things that he's so good about focusing on. He he he's like you know maybe it's kind of weird to have a hundred pages out of a 500 page book dedicated to telling a backstory that might seem weird to a lot of people, but he doesn't care because that's what you need to know about that character. You know, you're getting ready to experience something like that with wizard and glass. Um, I hope that's not a spoiler, but uh, nope. there's okay. I'm glad you knew that. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's at number eight on my list. So I love diving into details and, and I think that stuff matters. So yeah, that's, that was one of my favorite things about The Shining and, you know, just the sheer terror of it, the um, touching relationships between father and son, husband and wife. Uh, so many great things to focus on in The Shining. I love it. Uh, number three is The Stand. 
Um, we also talked to the stand to death on Tower <laughs> Junkies. We we talked about the 90s miniseries, the new miniseries. We did an individual episode for all three books of the book because it's broken into three three books. So we talked it to death. Go go check those out. But the stand, it's it's just a classic because it's a classic conflict. Um, you could teach this book in an English class because it's so many classic themes. It's good versus evil, which is tale as old as time. The yep. oldest stories we have are good versus evil. Um, and the stand is King's crack at it, and he hit it out of the park. I, again, it's it's the characters that make it so fantastic. There's so many fun details about post-apocalyptic stuff. I love the virology and the immunology, uh, which is kind of a touchy subject these days, but uh, <laughs> I, I loved it way before it was uh, kind of plaguing all of us, pun intended there. Yeah. So... Yeah, I love the stand. It's it's such a fun it's such a fun uh, such a fun book, and it's it's so well told. Um, I was really disappointed in the latest miniseries. It was, uh, I, it was a weird choice, and I don't think it worked. I think it was a failed experiment. Unfortunately, I agree with you. I agree okay. with you so much. I did not have a good time on that ride, sir. He tried, and I, like I said, he tried something, and I just think it was a failure, and that's unfortunate, but. That's how it turned out. So, so yeah, stand my number three. My number two is misery. Uh, this I could almost change it to number one. Uh, you know, again, reading through it when I was you know a few years ago or last year, I I was just absolutely stunned and and just sickened really by uh, the torture in that book. And and I I guess when I read it when I was younger, I didn't classify it that way or I maybe I just couldn't comprehend it or you know it just didn't land as well but I I was sickened in an amazing way because it occupied my thoughts for days after I read the book you know it just it really stuck with me I think Annie Wilkes is so terrifying because people like that exist in the world and and that's what makes it so scary she's not a monster she's not a she's not a ghost she's not a, some crazy alien she is a person and yep. she's a person who has some mental health issues for sure but uh, she's a person and there are people out there like that and people like her have done these things to people before and I think that's part of what rooting it in reality that way makes this story so scary um, another theme that I love in stories is isolation physical isolation specifically where people are cut off from the outside world my one of my top five favorite movies of all time is John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, so good. And it's a cool movie in and of itself. But what sets it off is the fact that it takes place in Antarctica. That just makes it so damn cool. And I, I love isolation. It's just such a cool theme to play with. It would absolutely wreck me as a person. I'm I'm too social. I couldn't be cut off from interaction that way and it's so fun and misery because it's two people who are isolated you know they're isolated together and one of them desperately wants to get out and the other one desperately wants to keep them there that's just such a incredible dynamic to play with so again i could talk about misery for an hour so <laughs> that's my number two uh my number one probably not a big surprise is dark tower book seven the dark tower uh the conclusion to the uh, the penultimate or the ultimate masterpiece of Stephen King's. I talked about the ending earlier. I just think I think it's his best ending. I think it's his it's his magnum opus. It's it's what he's it's a story that he's been thinking about his entire life. And literally, he 
talked, he's spoken before about how he started developing these ideas when he was a kid and he started writing small things about Roland Deschain when he was a teenager. That's absolutely remarkable. And the last book came out when he was in his fifties or sixties. And that's just remarkable to me. And, and, you know, that's coming from a man who is a prolific writer. Not only is he a good writer and pretty, pretty critically acclaimed and, uh, and successful and everything, but he is prolific. He writes a ton of books and a ton of stories. And this is his, this is his main story. This is a, this is his thread through all his other stories. And it is a conclusion of that thread. And I uh, adore it for that reason. And I love Roland Deschain. I, I love the whole group, the quartet in that story. And they all get their own ending in this book. And uh, I just love it. It's, it's, it's touching. It's tragic. It's beautiful. And uh, it's just a great book. I absolutely love The Dark Tower. Oh, man, that was an amazing list. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. I hope that wasn't too drawn out. No, are you? No. <laughs> this is the island of long wind, and you are welcome to stay forever, sir, especially oh, with someone that has such an open heart for King. Like, you're one of those people that just get King, Anthony, you know? Oh, like, thank you. you you're, you're a reader. You have a reader's heart, and on the King journey, you just get him not saying that there's some sort of secret we have to get but you're someone who loves what this man has given we love his art we get to have community because of this art and these characters and these stories and so it just means a lot to hear somebody have emotional resonance from sharing their life with king so it was your list was so beautiful thank you for sharing that with us thank you i appreciate it of course, with such an amazing list, you brought up some awesome categories that I was like, I gotta say some things. So you mentioned history uh, when you were taking a look at the the Shining and that part where we learned the history of the Overlook. And you reminded me about something that has been in the back of my brain for a really long time. I just want to put this out there. Have you noticed in some of these King stories that King really likes to travel back to the 1920s in particular? And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on at that time. You got Prohibition, you've got The Flapper, you've got Great Gatsby stuff, you got a lot going on. Stock markety things, lots of partying, but he makes it terrifying. Like, I am associating the 1920s with just terror lately uh, because huh. I'm seeing it through this lens with King because we have this. I don't know if you've read it yet, but not only is it an amazing novella, but a fantastic Netflix adaptation, 1922. Yes. That was the first thing I ever read from King in my life. It was my first introduction to King. It was the huh. best thing that's ever happened to me. But I, we have that quite a bit. You've got it in The Overlook, where we've got some 1920s stuff. We've got it in a really terrifying book for me, which is Bag of Bones. We've got some 1920s mm. stuff with that. But yeah, I, I'd like to put it out there. In your observations with King, notice how the 1920s is a frequent time period he travels to. I'm so glad you said that because I haven't picked up on it. You know, I... um. I was sitting here racking my brain as you were talking about it, trying to think of references to the twenties. And I thought of the overlook and I thought of 1922. Couldn't think of other ones. I haven't read bag of bones. Interesting. I will definitely keep my, uh, keep that in the back of my mind when I'm reading his stuff in the future. That's interesting. Maybe was, uh, did that come up in the stand at all with 
Mother Abigail, did she mention anything in the 20s? She did. I think hers was probably a little bit before, like 1906, because she's like super duper old. But right. yeah, like early 1900s, um, 1920. And then once you start getting into the short stories, there's a really cool one. The Breathing Method, that one was in the 20s. Oh, that was in the 20s, wasn't it? Yep. And then there's another story that takes place in the Manhattan Club called The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands. That's like 1919, 1920. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's just because 19, like we all know that number is a little witchy woo. But yeah, the 20s are all over King's work and I'm consistently like, ah! so. That's cool. That's so cool that you picked up on that. I'm going to have to, um, if I read anything else, I'm going to be thinking about that. That's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. So two things you inspired me. I wanted to echo that misery is your number two, not saying it's my number two, but I love how it is so high on your list because I, that book was so hard for me. I wanted to hate it because it was the most terrifying thing I've ever read in my life. Truly. Like it shook me to my core and I was thinking about it for months even, and even now just thinking about it, I'm like wincing, like, yeah. but only because it, it was masterful. Misery is masterful. Like yeah. that book is otherworldly on another level, masterful. And it so is. at first, like whenever I hear misery up on the, somebody's really high count, I'm like, no, but then I, <laughs> <laughs> I remember, wait a minute you forgot like when Paul is writing about Scheherazade and like the bee queen and he's got to like force this novel out he's writing to survive like the brilliance of that and another thing I talk about I always encourage readers to get a physical copy of the book because not only is the story masterful but the typesetting of the actual novel is art like the whole Mm. book is art You've got like dropped letters and written in letters and like smudged ink and oh man, it's up there. I think you're so right. I and I recently had an experience where that played in. I tried or I I read Carrie, and sometimes a physical book is just the way to go. And and I think I missed, I think I missed out on part of the experience of that book because I read I read the audio book and I I. I, I, I'm going to go back and read a physical copy of it. I, I think that's still, I think there's still so much value in, in physical copies. You know, I'm, I'm totally a technology junkie. I love my gear and my tech just as much as anybody, but sometimes, you know, a dead tree with some ink on it is just the best way to go. You got to have it in your hands. And uh, I agree with you a hundred percent. So yeah, you're totally, you totally hit that other part. Nice. And then you also mentioned the isolation and how you really love that. And I thought that was such a cool point. I do have one story recommend for you because you totally made me think of this story when you were talking about the thing. So I recently read it inside of Skeleton Crew, which I just finished a few months ago for the first time. And there is a story in there called Survivor Type. Have you heard of it? I don't think I've heard of that one. No. So this one, some people don't like it because it's a little over the top. Like the ending, it's good, but you're like, okay, that's over the top. And some people, it makes, it's so over the top, people like laugh. You're just like, okay, that's a little ridiculous. However, premise, it's about this rich doctor who's, who's a surgeon, pardon, from New York. 
and kind of fought his way to get success. And when he got to the top, he got super arrogant and started dealing with loan sharks and sports betting and then got into drug smuggling. So he's bringing back a ton of heroin from the Philippines via a boat and the boat crashes and he's abandoned on an island and he Ooh. only has the notebook and a whole bunch of cocaine or no party heroin sorry wrong drug oh. wrong narcotic <laughs> the whole story is written in epistolary chunks like these little journal entries but you kind of see the passing of time and his isolation and i really would love to know your thoughts on survivor type that sound you piqued my interest Big time. That sounds really cool. Yay. But yeah, so <laughs> tremendous list. My last question for you, Precious Anthony, <laughs> is if we were to attend a Stephen King book signing, we'd probably have to wait four days in line and camp. Which title would you have Mr. King sign? It can only be one. I love that question because I've thought about it a lot. And I have a concrete answer. I would actually, um, I mentioned earlier the comic books for the dark tower and i actually so i i came to those several years after they were published especially the early ones and so i kind of uh cheaped out in a way i kind of bought the um the collection like the hardback collection of like nine or ten individual comics you know um comics are released weekly or bi-weekly and you get a chunk of the story and after eight weeks or whatever you have a whole story well i just kind of bought the whole story in hardback that's how i experienced those comics but i made sure that i went and bought issue number one of the gunslinger and it is the first stephen king comic book ever and it has my favorite artwork of uh, all those all those comics it's images that stay in my mind all the time um I had it as backgrounds on my phone and backgrounds on my laptop and stuff like that. Uh, I had a poster at one point that was, I believe the artist who did the artwork was uh, Jay Lee. It's either Jai or Jay Lee. He's a phenomenal artist. So I actually bought issue number one. Um, I think I paid like 15 bucks for it, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, they're two or $3 when they first come out. Um, and I have it wrapped in plastic and everything. And so if I ever ever met him that's what i would actually take with me is is that uh, that comic book and then my parents also have um i would also take another one my parents have a first edition of the stand from oh it's the it's before the unabridged even came out i think it was like 1977 or something like that my parents actually have that so that'd be also cool to get him to sign dang i love it i love it yeah so good that would be a very cool thing for him to sign just art mm -hmm. forever with his name yes. on it yeah Excellent. Mine would be the very first title I ever read, which was Full Dark, No Stars. Cool. Yeah, I, it's the one that started it all, so that's the one I would have him sign. Ah, that's awesome. Right. I really want to, uh, to get a book signed, but I'm of the firm belief that we should never meet our heroes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, what if he was in a bad mood, Anthony? Like, what if he's... Right? What if he just was cranky and he didn't have breakfast and he gets to me and he's just like, get the hell out of my face and I'm just ruined forever. So, Yeah, I get it. Yep. It'll be a tough call, but that's all I have. Thank you so much for being such a tremendous constant reader interview. It was so great having you. Oh, it was my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So thank you. 
You are so welcome. So hopefully we will chat again soon and please let our listeners know where they can hear more of you. You can go to towerjunkiespod.com. That's where we post episodes of our podcast, Tower Junkies. And uh, you can find all, I think, the entire backlog of episodes we've been doing over the last four or five years. Um, And you can also go to obsessiveviewer.com. That's uh, a different podcast we have where we talk about movies and TV shows. We've been doing that one for eight years. So uh, we've been sticking with it. We've got almost 400 episodes. So yeah, feel free to uh, go through a whole backlog if you want to. Maybe not the first couple episodes. It's sort of like watching toddlers learn how to walk, but uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it that we've been doing it for so long and, uh, it's been a great experience. I, I love podcasting. I'm always, uh, really happy to, um, talk about stuff. I recently watched through euphoria, the TV show on HBO max. And, uh, I had these preconceived notions about it and they were completely wrong. And I was so blown away by that show and I was just itching to talk to somebody about it. So, um, that's our most recent episode. So if you want to, if you guys liked Euphoria too, go, go check that out. It's a good episode. We talk about all kinds of stuff on, the, on both podcasts. All right. I might have to check it out now. I mean, of course I'll check out your episode most definitely, but I haven't watched Euphoria cause I heard it was just high schoolers like banging it out and doing drugs. But if it's, but if it has your seal of approval, I might have to take a gander. It is so much more than that. I had the exact same thought. I thought that's all it was. And it is so much more than that. It's a brilliant, gorgeous show. All right. All right. That's, that's going to sell me. I might, I will definitely give the first episode a go and I will be sure to chat with you about it and listen to your show. Great. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. This was great. Yay. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my wonderful conversation with Anthony R., a.k.a. Tiny from Tower Junkies and the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. I will be including links to both of those incredible shows in the episode notes, so please check them out if you haven't already. I've been immensely fortunate to be a guest on both Tower Junkies and Obsessive Viewer, where I chatted with Matt a few times on Stephen King's short stories, The Wastelands, as well as the epic Mike Flanagan limited series Midnight Mass, but three times is never enough, so I'm inviting myself to battery ram my way back onto Tower Junkies because it's the best place to be, and hopefully this next time I can hang out with Matt and Anthony and discuss one of my all-time favorite King titles, Joyland, as well as some more short stories from Skeleton Crew because, as you all know, that collection is a gift that keeps on giving. Yes, it does. Thank you all so much for listening and writing into the show at underratedsk at gmail. I answer emails quite frequently, so if you would like to say hi and haven't, please do so. It's so wonderful to connect with all of you and learn about your roots with King and your connection to these stories. If you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts and provide us a five star. And if you would be so magnanimously inclined, you can write a nice review of the show so we may beckon more King readers and non-readers to spend some time with us. So once more, thank you, thank you. I'm cracking open Wizard and Glass this weekend, so the return to the quartet is upon us. We shall make haste, take care, and we'll be together again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>